2: It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim.
1: Homeland Security Expert Juliette Kayam How We React to Terrorism and Natural
2: Disasters. You can get yourself so prepared for almost any eventuality in a very small time. It's not going to cover everything, but boy, aren't you going to feel better having prepared for something rather than nothing. And that is one way in which you can both empower yourself and minimize the risk in your own home. We are all in this together, we don't have to completely freak out, the threats we face tend not to be existential, but uh, we can all do a lot together to communicate and minimize risk uh, and prepare ourselves because things are going to happen.
1: Our show is about fixes.
0: Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it?
1: Jim, we all know we live in a dangerous world, from the threat of terrorist attacks and mass shootings to natural disasters, hurricanes, epidemics, and blackouts.
3: Even though any single person's risk is minuscule, it's natural that people are worried. You know, how do we do a better job of protecting ourselves? And our guest today is a homeland security expert who spent her career wrestling with this question. Juliet Kayyem has been involved in some of the most dramatic incidents of recent decades. She was the assistant secretary in the Department of Homeland Security. She was involved in the BP oil spill, the H1N1 epidemic. She also is the author of Security Mom, which just came out.
1: In addition to having worked at Homeland Security, you're also the mother of three. So what do you think is the biggest lesson parents need to learn about safety?
2: Stuff happens, right? And and we need to prepare for it and respond to it and, and, and build in a way that's more resilient.
3: So on the morning of 9-11, you were on an Amtrak train to New York with your your newborn child. Tell us about that.
2: Yes. Cecilia was six weeks old. I was a a counterterrorism expert. I served on the National Commission on Terrorism. And uh, people have to remember at that time, nobody knew who, you know, Bin Laden was, what Al Qaeda was. You know, people probably didn't even know where Afghanistan was. And so knowledge was so limited about the threat that had now in one day taken 3000 lives. Uh, And I just realized it was my responsibility to evacuate the train because the train was still heading into ground zero. And I think, I mean, one, it was just a lesson for me about the responsibility to communicate in ways so that people act appropriately, uh, but also was, I think, a recognition that my expert status and my status as a mother were were going to be intertwined as it related to the homeland security. So
1: I love what you said about the message from federal officials and even state officials to people being either tune out or freak out. What's that middle ground? What's that area where we can start taking some responsibility and being part
2: of the conversation? I mean, I would love for politicians. I know it's difficult uh, to say the, the risk will never be zero in this country and you would not want it that way. I mean, begin to, uh, Communicate with the American public about what each of us can do to minimize the risk from any threat uh, and protect ourselves uh, and uh, engage people in safety and security in a way that I think they can, they can handle. And, and that's just a hard message to give to people.
3: Let's talk a little bit about the responsibility that individuals can take. Um, One thing you, you talk about in the book is the way a lot of people have this unrealistic idea that if there's an earthquake or a or a hurricane. The government's going to be landing a helicopter in your yard with a cup of hot chocolate in 20 minutes. Exactly.
2: I'd like to remind people that the cavalry is not coming. I, mean, I think people do have an unrealistic expectation uh, in some ways that if they call 911, uh, uh, they'll be there pretty soon. Um, there are 2,700 people who work for FEMA across the government. So think about how limited even federal emergency management resources are the the normal slogan that people might still talk about is 72 on you that means 72 hours what would you want in your home to Ah, uh, make yourself feel better and make your family more resilient. I am so, willing-
1: so so you're saying that there may be no help at all, no fresh water, mm-hmm. no supplies for seventy two hours.
2: I am saying that is the worst case scenario. And so if you take the worst case scenario and you plan for that, everything else is going to fall before that i mean essentially almost everything else so um uh, have you talked to your kids about what emergency management plans are Uh, have you copied important uh, papers and mailed them out of state or put them in the cloud um you can get yourself so prepared for almost any eventuality in a very small time it's not going to cover everything but boy aren't you going to feel better having prepared for something rather than nothing what kinds of supplies
1: should be in that emergency bag or in in that part of your home
2: I say make it a manageable list. So it's water, non-perishable food, flashlights and batteries, candles, you know, and matches a first aid kit and then special medications or glasses. You know, if, if you have infants, infant formula and diapers, pet food, pets are very important. I've learned that the hard way people will die for their pets. Yes. So you want to make that sure in that Katrina. I exactly. And so and and that's it. Right? I'm not talking about duct tape or, you know, being able to, to, to melt your own water from ice. You know, nothing hard. Just a shop at Walmart or Target will, will essentially do it. And that is one way in which you can both empower yourself and minimize the risk in your own home. And then the second big thing is I uh, that I like to tell people is, is also you need to have this discussion, not in a scary way, but the idea that your teenage kids, for example, don't know what's going on in the world is ridiculous. They're getting stuff from their iPhones. It's our responsibility as parents. Put it in perspective and talk to them about, you know, what would they do if cell service was down? You want them to come home? How would they walk? How would they get there? Just it doesn't have to be scary.
3: Now, a lot of people look at the federal government. Again, we saw this in Katrina, the sense that the federal government should have been able to handle every every problem. But there's so much that small, local institutions can do. You, you have a thing in your book about talking to the daycare center in your community.
2: Yeah. Um, so, yes, it, it is true. Look, most most homeland security begins at home and the hometown. It, it's on a local uh, and state level. Uh, that's who people turn to. Those are the communities people know. So one of the stories I tell is after Hurricane Katrina, I'm nine months pregnant with my third child when Hurricane Katrina happens. And I realized not only am I unprepared as a counterterrorism and homeland security expert in terms of just organizing my life and the kids and the home, but where my kids spend most of their time, which is we had them in daycare, was also not prepared. Uh, And so I go through a checklist and I try to educate the daycare with a lot of pushback because I think a lot of people did not want to hear it. They don't want to have to engage with it. They want to tune out. And then when something bad happens, then they completely freak out. So part of that story about trying to get the daycare and, and, its, and its parents to engage in their own preparedness was um, to make it simple, like, you know, here's a little checklist and here's what you can do. What about
1: the threat of uh, Ebola or yeah. um, various illnesses? What should people be doing now to make sure that uh, they're, you know, getting reasonable protection or that uh, if this thing got worse, that they would uh, be dealing with it sensibly?
2: Uh, we may not have a vaccine for Zika, for example, but the fact that our children are vaccinated for a lot of other public health concerns means that they are stronger and are not going to suffer many of the consequences that occur in other countries. I have no doubt that those who are against vaccines love their children. They should have no doubt that I love mine. I, I But I also believe I love their children more than they love mine.
3: Oh, yeah, well, you're not going to get an argument on that one with, with the, the, the two of us. And <laughs> but you make a very important point that when you vaccinate your own children, you're protecting you're protecting other children as well. And a lot That's of people a, forget yeah. that.
2: Look, we are all in this together. We don't have to completely freak out. The threats we face tend not to be existential, but uh we can all do a lot together to communicate and minimize risk uh, and prepare ourselves because things are going to happen, right? This idea that before September 11th, the United States was all unicorns and butterflies is just ridiculous.
3: What can an individual do if confronted with an actual terrorist incident or an active shooter uh, scenario?
2: This is what I say to my children who are in an urban high school Uh Don't be a hero. Run if you can. Hide if you must. Engage only if there are no other options. And this is this is what police departments train. This is what counterterrorism officials train across the board.
3: Now, you've gotten some criticism from gun owners about (laughs) uh, downplaying the idea that a a well-trained person who's carrying their firearm might intervene in one of these situations. What's your take on that?
2: I look at the the data. Uh, States with more permissive gun laws do not have either reduced violence. In fact, in most states, they have increased violence, gun violence, nor do they have instances of heroism across the board. I mean, the idea that... You're 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 armed and some guy, some ISIS member at that very moment, it starts an attack. You shoot him down. I mean, it's it's fanciful. I mean, the threat we face from ISIS is uh, is a little bit like whack-a-mole. I mean, and unfortunately, it does mean that there will be attacks like San Bernardino. It's very hard to stop every attack. Juliet, you have such an
1: interesting career Um, after being a. Uh... Assistant Secretary at the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, You've formed your own consulting firm. You teach at uh, the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. What have you learned that you didn't know when you were in government (laughs) and you're now out in what so many of us like to call the real world?
0: Uh, How
2: how good people are? I know that sounds really hokey, and I don't mean it that way, but it's just – People want to help. They really do. And in some ways, they just want to know how to do it, when to do it, uh, how they can uh, protect their families and communities. And they just need the tools and uh, information to uh, engage in something that I think they've been excluded from for so long.
3: And that might also be advice to public officials. Perhaps we need to to give people more credit that the public does behave pretty well in disaster they, they situations. They do. In
2: fact, there's just simply no evidence of that idea of of a panic. You know, a Hobbesian world in which if people are under stress, they're going to kill each other and stab each other in the back. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And in most of these instances, you know, instances of disaster, whether it's terrorism or natural disaster, eventually there will be fighting and there will be politics. But in the moments of and during the recovery, you actually see. Unbelievably, sort of cooperative efforts by just average people. And if we could uh, remember that as government officials, then maybe we wouldn't be so afraid to speak the truth.
1: Juliet Kayyem, thanks so much for joining
2: us. Thank you.
1: Jim, I think the most important message and the most hopeful message that she brings is one of empowerment, that that we all can do something in response to these
3: awful tragedies, either natural disasters or terrorism. It's a negative message and a positive message. The negative message is that nobody's ever going to be able to completely protect us in all situations. And that's just realism. And yet, I think there's a lot of people, both in the media and in politics, who um who want to feed us uh, this notion of dependence, that we have to rely on the government to do everything, or that the minute something goes wrong, it's the fault of those guys in Washington. And so I think her idea that, it's, that, that homeland security begins at home, that it's local, it starts with individual responsibility, I think that's a great concept for for everybody, both in terms of making your own life safer, but also in terms of Informing a more intelligent national policy yeah
1: we 're going to post links to her book, which is full of practical advice and also juliet 's uh, suggestions on what we individually should do uh, to be to prepare and have a seventy two hour pack. We have enough supplies for seventy two hours in case we do face a disaster, and nine
3: uh, one one doesn 't come. One of the things I've had the opportunity to do is I've edited a lot of stories and worked about extreme survival in wilderness situations. They say once they accept that they might very well die, they summon the energy to do everything they can to survive.
1: Let me share a personal story because I was in New York City on the morning of 9-11 and I went down to lower Manhattan to cover the response to that awful day when planes hit the north and south tower of the World Trade Center. I was in a subway, which stopped, and for half an hour we had no lights, and we had to walk out of the subway train, uh, not only that subway train, but about 30 or 40 cars before we got up into uh, ground level. And there wasn't panic, with the exception of one person in a crowded subway car, and everybody else was, was very helpful. And what Juliet was saying about the people of Boston, I can attest to the people of New York. Um, I fell in love with New York City in the days and weeks and months after 9-11. There was a sense among people that were in this together of helping out. I think it was two mornings after uh, the 9-11 attacks. Uh, at 5 a.m., I was at Union Square where there were messages everywhere. Have you seen my relative? Have you seen this person? There were all these messages up on trees and on uh, other posts uh, that were uh, just desperately asking for help. I was in that park at 5 a.m., and the only other person was uh, someone who was emptying the change. This was a different time, out of out of the... Uh, Phone boxes, uh, all the quarters. And we just looked at each other and hugged. And there were so many moments like that where you looked total strangers in the eye And shared something.
3: And that's relevant to policy as well. You know, our guest, uh, Glenn Reynolds, who has has been on the show before, he was actually inspired by the public's response to 9-11 to write a whole book about this. Uh, He calls it an army of Davids. You know, the authorities tend to think that uh, the public is going to not respond properly. They tend to withhold information or want to keep people confined. But in fact, there was a lot of self-organized rescuing going on that day, including an informal boat lift. Uh, all the elder, Almost anybody with boats in the, in the Manhattan area got in their boats and came over and started boat lifting people off of, of the shoreline down by the West Side Highway, take them over to Jersey City to help evacuate lower Manhattan. No supervision. Nobody told them to do it. They just did it.
1: So the message of this show, the 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 fix it message is, don't tune out or freak out. Be realistic and uh, take a few steps to prepare. Yeah.
3: Now there's one thing that I I, I want to push back on a little bit. Not that I'm an expert in this, but um, the idea of this big controversy about can um, licensed gun o- owners play a role in some of these incidents? I don't know for a fact that um, that. I don't think we know enough either way necessarily to determine this, but I suspect that I would feel a little safer in Houston, you know, than in Cambridge if there was a Paris-style multiple shooter incident going on. Knowing that there'd be a few people with uh, with a weapon in their in their glove box who are well trained in using it, I could be wrong, but um, as
1: long as the only people who opened fire were those who were very well trained, and I don't think there's any way of knowing. that.
3: There's no way of knowing that, um, but I'm I would argue that. Um, We don't know that it doesn't work. Look at Paris. In the theater, as the terrorists were, were methodically executing people one by one, and they had all the time in the world to do it and all the ammo in the world, one cop did what he wasn't supposed to do. <laughs> you know, he was supposed to wait for backup and the professionals and the SWAT teams. He didn't do it. He barged in himself and took a couple of shots. He got one of the terrorists. He completely threw them off their game plan. Then they retreated, they took some hostages, and they stopped the executions. You know, it could have been much worse. It, you know, the gun debate is a complicated one. It's a topic for another show, but I I, I think it's, it's worth investigating whether well-trained citizens might have a role, especially if the multi-shooter scenario, like we saw in Bombay, like we saw in Paris, becomes more common in terrorist incidents. Yeah, it is
1: an I don't know thing, but yes, we should be investigating that more. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and our audio engineer is Denise Barberita.
3: Here at the Mona Lisa Studios in beautiful uptown Manhattan. Our show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for... Companies and nonprofits.
1: And if you're interested in finding out more, then go to www.daviescontent.me.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: Traffic jams, tailgating, pile ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse?